You're listening to the Airline Briefing, the industry affairs podcast from IATA, keeping you up to date with the most vital issues facing aviation today. Welcome to the latest Airline Briefing podcast. Today, we're going to be tackling the first of what I suspect will be several podcasts on the issue of the environment, aviation environment, such an important topic for the future of the airline industry, of course. And uh, today we're going to start by looking at the issue of sustainable aviation fuels. This is an absolutely crucial uh, plank of our sustainability strategy. But before we get to that, I want to really start by looking at the the background to this and and where we stand on the environment. And so today we've got two guests um, really to talk about. The first is our usual guest, Sebastian Mikos, our Senior Vice President uh, for member external relations. Hi there, Sebastian. How are you doing? Hi, hi, Chris. Hello to everybody. I'm doing well. Thanks. Excellent. Thank you. And uh, uh, I'll come to you in a moment, Sebastian, but also I just want to say welcome to uh, Robert Boyd, who is our Assistant Director for Aviation Environment and our particular expert on sustainable fuels. Uh, welcome, Robert. Hi, Chris. Thank you very much. And hi to everyone. Great. So, Sebastian, let's just start by getting the background here. Um, has the coronavirus crisis affected aviation's commitment to environmental improvement? Oh, there is a very simple answer to that. No, not at all. Uh, actually, it has even amplified uh, the attention on aviation uh, relations with the, the environment. Uh, so there are clearly two statements I can, I can make. One is that uh, uh, COVID uh, has not uh, decreased uh, our attention and willingness to, to uh, work on the positive impact we can have uh, on decreasing uh, uh, CO2 uh, CO2 emissions, our overall environment mandate, should, should I say. Uh, and second uh, is that uh, this is one of the two main topics that we are looking after, uh, particularly in IATA now. One, of course, being the restart of our industry as a top priority. And second is uh, uh, everything related to, uh, to environment uh, uh, commitments of, of the industry. So, um, in terms of that commitment that we've made, what are those sort of specific long-term and oh, and medium-term, I guess, targets that the industry has set for environmental, particularly, obviously, with regard to carbon emissions? So, you know, the industry didn't wait until COVID uh, crisis starts to make commitment uh, to have, in 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 broader terms. Uh, 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 a very uh, serious uh, reduction of its negative impact on, on environment. So, of course, we have the so-called carbon neutral growth commitment, which which is uh, which is our commitment uh, to uh, to continue growing the industry without uh, impacting more uh, more the environment. Uh, in terms of CO2, because of course there are other areas, but I'll let today you know focus us on on sustainable fuel and on the co2 impact we'll probably talk about other topics and another day and the second commitment that we have already taken which is it's also a commitment uh, on co2 reduction it's that by 2050 we should reduce by half our emission in comparison of the emissions of uh, uh, 2005 so so it's an extremely challenging but extremely serious commitment that the industry has already taken and we as IATA are strongly supporting that commitment Right. So, as you say, that is a very, very challenging target when you consider that that's in the context of uh, what will be a huge growth in traffic over that period of time as well. So, 
how will we get there? Have we set out a sort of vision for the, the key ways in which we'll achieve that 50% cut by 2050 target? Yes, we put together all the stakeholders of uh, environment which, which operate in the uh, air transport industry, uh, engine producers, plane producers, uh, uh, other associations uh, uh, and um, the uh, air navigation agencies. I mean, everybody that can have a significant impact on how we, we, we reduce uh, um, the, the, food, the carbon footprint. And this group of people have pr uh, pr written together and produced a report which is called Waypoint 2050, which I encourage everybody to have a look at uh, on the ATAC website, uh, because this is a really good uh, uh, report. Uh, th there is a longer version which is very technical and the shorter that I, I recommend everybody to at least uh, have, have a look at, which shows different pathways and different blends of technologies, improvement of infrastructure, uh, sustainable aviation fuels, which will constitute the blend and how we go from the point we are today to the point we want to be in 2050, we, which is the, the moment where our commitment uh, should be uh, should be in place. So, so you mentioned that mix of of technology, and of course, lots of people are very excited about the future of, of you know alternative propulsion systems, electric hydrogen, and so on. And we'll definitely come back to that in a future podcast because it's of huge interest, and, and ultimately will get us to zero emissions. But would you agree that right now, what the big game in town for us is sustainable aviation fuels. That's going to be the, the immediate solution for making significant emissions cuts at the moment. Would you agree with, with that? I, I, I would not only agree, I would say that this is the, the main thing I would like our, our listeners to remember from, from today's podcast, that sustainable aviation fuel is really the only uh, reliable, uh, long-term available technology that we have today and that we are working on to uh, to reduce our carbon footprint in a very serious way because sustainable aviation fuel stands for nothing else than a renewable fuel, something that we can uh, use today with the current engines, with the current planes, and there is a lot of certification that has been done already. So we are really ramping up this technology. We are just at the beginning of the road, but this is something that is available to all of us airlines at hand now. Okay, so that's the perfect moment for me to bring in Robert. Um, you know, Robert, you're you're intimately engaged on the front line, the bridge between IATA really and the industry wide to, to look at how we're going to produce more SAF and get it into the industry. Let's start by that key question: How much SAF are we actually using at the moment? How much is out there? How much is being made for us? Yeah, thanks, Chris. We're using basically everything that's being produced, but the number at the moment is relatively low. Um, it's about 100 million litres in 2021, that's what we expect. But it's actually an interesting um, fact uh, of today, being the 12th of March uh, 2021, it's exactly five years ago to the day that the very first continuous supply started uh, from the first facility dedicated to, to SAF and that was putting uh, fuel to, to uh, LAX for United. And uh, yeah, I think it's an interesting milestone that we're actually at that five-year point. And back then in 2016, um, the volume that year, which we thought was remarkable at the time, was about 5 million litres. So we've had wow. a 20-fold increase in five years. But that's still a drop in the ocean when you think about how much jet fuel we use uh, as a total industry. You know, I think in 2019, it was nearly 350 billion litres. 
Right. So that indeed puts the context around it. So, you know, we've come a long way in five years, but there's an awfully long way to go. So how much further do we need to go? Let's let's take that 2050 target that we have and the Waypoint report that Sebastian was referring to. Does that give an idea about roughly how much SAF we're going to need to use around that, that 2050 date to reach our targets? Yes, it, it does. The, the Waypoint report is extremely informative in giving us a sort of a, a sense of order of magnitude of how much SAF we'll need to uh, to get to our industry, our industry goal. I mean, the, the very simple answer is, is a lot. Uh, the more granular answer is somewhere around 300 billion to 500 billion uh, litres. And just in context, you know, I just said that the industry total jet fuel use in 2019 was about 350 uh, billion litres. So you, you're getting a sense there that we're going close to actually replacing all of our, our traditional uh, fuel with, with SAF uh, over the long run. So it's a 30-year journey, not an easy one. Uh, it's going to require efforts from absolutely every part of the uh, the value chain here but it is doable so so how do we bridge that gap and and do we have any interim milestones i guess you know what are the biggest challenges facing us in terms of getting that that staff production ramped up yeah well maybe it's good to think about two well i think two key things that are not uh, impediments so you know and, and perhaps many people might think of these as impediments so so one would be the technology the technology is there today we know how to do this and we've actually so far we've got seven certified pathways in from a technical perspective of how to produce this fuel and know that it meets a standard that it's what we call fit for purpose to go into existing engines no change to any infrastructure no change to any aircraft so that's great um, we also know that we have uh, enough feedstock to supply all of the volume I just mentioned. So we've, we've, we've got that, we're very confident we can do that and that we can do it uh, sustainably. So our biggest challenge is price. So we need to make uh, SAF as competitive as possible with our conventional, you know, relative to conventional uh, kerosene. And then the second issue is our pace of action. We have to really ramp up our effort and get SAF moving as fast as possible. And I think this next decade is going to be extremely important to put us on the right trajectory to get to these significant volumes by 2050. So I think if I was to give you a sort of a number we should be aiming for, by the end of the decade, we need to be aiming for about 5% of total uh, jet fuel. And that's around 20 billion litres. So we're talking 100 million in 2021, 20 billion by 2030. So it's a, it's a sort of a sharp S curve if you can visualise that. Yeah, yeah. And Sebastian, you know, you're, you're a former airline CEO. In terms of, you know, SAF obviously is, is not not on the radar at a huge level yet. But when when you hear that price challenge and so on, do you, do you feel that there that that is the the number one blocker for for the industry? Um, you know, do do we have to get to absolute price parity? Do you think? I I would say. Uh, yes, in the short term, because in the situation in which our airlines are today, asking them to increase the cost of fuel, uh, it's, it's extremely challenging, knowing that the cost of fuel represents, in average, in a very big average, 30% of, of the cost of the total cost of an airline. So it would be putting another burden on those, uh, on those, uh, on those airlines. But 
given the commitment of airlines, given the political priority it is for governments, and maybe, maybe most importantly, given the priority it is for our passengers, with time, we see a very significant potential of lowering the cost of SAF to at a certain point have a moment when the, 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 the barrel uh, of uh, synthetic uh, uh, oil will be cheaper than the barrel of, of uh, fossil fuel. And, you know, we are talking about uh, a timeline of maybe 15 years, which at the scale of what we were doing and when we started digging crude is an extremely rapid change. And of course, the more the governments will encourage this movement, the faster it will come. So this is why we, we, we support it very much, because we believe very much in that possibility. Right. So that, that key point you just mentioned there about government action. And one of the things that we, we've seen suggested by governments is this idea of a mandate for the use of fuel. In other words, saying there must be a certain uh, level of SAF being used in the industry. Um, now, um, this is a very complex issue and we haven't got time to dive into it too deeply in this podcast, but just at a broad level, um, you know, the EU, for example, is considering a mandate. Rob, do we support that idea? And if, if we do, are there any uh, nuances in that? Are there key elements that we need to be looking for in that EU proposal that we're looking to to modify slightly? Yeah, I think I think the broad the broad answer on mandates is cautiously yes, but they need to. I mean, a mandate is one policy option that that a government or a policymaker has. So there needs to be a range of policy options that all work work together. What a mandate does is it does provide a very strong uh, demand signal. And, and we're at a point where there isn't enough supply and suppliers are cautious to go and develop, um, you know, rapidly expand their demand without knowing that they have, in, in a way, the off-take agreement, you know, the commitment from the airlines to buy. So a mandate, in a way, is like a big off-take uh, agreement. Uh, it is also a very, fairly blunt instrument from, from an economic perspective because you can have risks. If it's not designed well, you can have risks that... Uh, there isn't that incentive to get the price down, you know, if the airlines have to to buy it. And that's not good for our customers. We need to make sure that airline passengers get uh, whatever fuels go, going into the into the planes, then ultimately their ticket price is in the most competitive way. So you referred to a policy in Europe, which is called Refuel EU, and it's a really significant one uh, where the EU is looking to, in a way, I think, shine the spotlight on, on, on Europe for, for sustainable aviation fuel. And I think uh, when this policy is released, probably in no, no more now than four weeks, uh, we will see a mandate as one of the policies. We've been working, I'd put it like this, we've been working constructively to try to, um, you know, help the Commission come up with a clever design for this. I think one element that's extremely important is that the mandate scope is just intra-EU to start with. And why I say that is uh, risks of a poorly designed mandate uh, are things like competitive distortions. So if you had a scenario where it's uh, an economic advantage for a non-European carrier, so a carrier that might be flying from a, a uh, origin outside of Europe and may have a different price for their fuel, that's a scenario that would be uh, uncompetitive for, you know, the same carrier potentially flying out of Europe. And we really have to limit that. And what the opportunity is by sort of starting in this way is to, to ultimately get towards a global agreement. Because once we get 
globally aligned on this topic, we start to uh, you know, largely address some of these distortion uh, risks. And, and with just, I think it's really important for people to understand with distortion, we're not just uh, sort of purely price focused here. There's actually environmental risks. You know, mm -hmm. so you, do, you don't want to encourage behavior that could actually cause more environmental damage than good. And that, that's you're talking about airlines tankering fuel over longer distances. Yeah, to exactly. Avoid Tank to pay the tap rate. Right. That's right. Tankering means carrying a bit more fuel in the, you know, in the tanks than you might need to, and that heavier weight means a higher fuel burn. So that's something that we really don't want uh, to happen. It would be an unintended externality of, you know, the the policy design. Okay. So so that's interesting that that you know there's potentially something there in that refuel eu proposal that that we we can live with um but you know it's important i think that yeah policymakers have to understand um that we've got this global perspective and i think uh, sebastian you'll recall there was the business over the eu ets a few years ago where there was a discussion over should that apply to extra eu flights or not and uh you know in the end um the industry made the case that it had to become an intra-EU proposal first so that the ICAO proposal, the international proposal for Corsia was accepted. And I think that's that's a key thing. We don't we don't want to see that kind of unnecessary diplomatic tussle repeated. Would you would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. I would because you, you, you know, Chris. What worries me always uh, when we have uh, this type of discussions is that a state uh, or a European Union wants to gratify us with a regulation. That always uh, makes me having <laughs> quite a lot of fear because we are an industry which which seriously commits to that. But we have to never lose of sight that we are a global industry. So there is, and we as IATA are here to defend airlines on all continents, and it, it is extremely detrimental if you push uh, more efforts on, on airlines from one region versus the other. So we are always uh, uh, defending the position that provided that we are a global industry, we need global solutions and particularly on SAF. Uh, of course, our position is that uh, if European Union wants uh, mandates, we, we, we are, as Robert said, cautiously uh, favorable, provided that it's an internal uh, to Europe solution, but still the question is why then wouldn't this uh, uh, same solution could be included in an ICAO solution, which by definition International Civil Aviation Organization was designed where, uh, you know, with the spirit of the Chicago Convention that we all are subject to the same rules. You know, I would say we pollute globally, so we reduce this pollution globally. That's how it mm. goes. You know, particles of CO2 are not having passports and are not stopping at borders. But I believe that through that dialogue and also voicing out clearly our position, we might get to it the same way we got to Corsia, which I consider being a real success uh, of the global industry, self-regulating itself. And in case of SAF, uh, we, we are advocating for the same. Well, that's a very positive note and I think we'll we'll conclude on that with a lot with the last point so so I mean Robert you're picking up on that point from Sebastian are you confident that perhaps there are international solutions and that we will get to the kind of SAF levels that we need in the coming years yeah I am optimistic Chris uh, I, I know I know we've got the skills to do this I know we've got the feedstock and there is the will this uh, you know this uh, incredible swelling enthusiasm and momentum uh, going on all around the world at, at, at the moment um, this is a really great opportunity as well for for countries. Most countries are net importers of their jet fuel. You know, this is a chance to to work on energy security, create jobs, build their economy. I mean, it really is a fabulous 
opportunity for probably 90% of the countries that are in that that category. Uh, so yes, yeah, so I'm 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 convinced we will do this. Aviation's faced challenges, you know, over its entire hundred year history. This is one of them, and we're very good at uh, getting over them and succeeding. Thank you, Robert. Thank you for your for your insight today on on the SAF issue. Last word to you, Sebastian. You you optimistic? We can we can get where we need to on SAF. I'm I'm optimistic, and I will add on another. I will end on another optimistic note, which is that when we mention you know strategic vision that green transition can create opportunities for new technology and particularly new jobs. This is the best example that comes to my mind: is sustainable aviation fuel, because in simple terms. Each city which has uh, food, uh, which has uh, uh, municipal waste, can now become uh, a small refinery and invest in their own refinery and produce crude oil, which opens endless possibilities for for cities, for companies who want to be to be more more, more sustainable and help in this transition. So, so I I, I guess that on top of having. Uh, um, a strong economic uh, incentive. This is also a real technology and economic development uh, development initiative, uh, w which is available to 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 us. And and I see that a lot of people and a lot of institutions are embracing it. So so yes, we have something that we should be working on. Something uh, you know, uh, ma material and palpable and available to us at hand now. Well, thank you very much, and and thank you both. For, I, I've personally found this a very, very interesting topic, and one that I think we could have talked about for another half hour. So we're going to leave it there, but I think we're going to come back to this. We'll see how the Europe proposal comes out, and uh, perhaps uh, return to this topic again. So, uh, gentlemen, thank you both very much for your time today. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Pleasure. Thanks, pleasure. And to our listeners, uh, do not forget to subscribe. We're now on all the major podcast platforms. Uh, so um, if uh, you should be able to find us on your favorite podcast provider, uh, do subscribe because there'll be plenty more podcasts coming this way. Thank you. You've been listening to The Airline Briefing, the industry affairs podcast from IATA. For more information and the latest news on all the most crucial issues facing aviation today, Go to iata.org or follow IATA on social media.